Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm so glad to have you joining me for this episode today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know about something so exciting that happened yesterday. We launched a devotional for abuse survivors. It's called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. You may have had a chance to see some of the free chapters that we have here on the Christian Single Moms podcast, but this devotional is for anyone who has experienced the oppression of abuse. So whether that's a woman or a man, whether the abuse occurred in the context of a romantic relationship or within a family, perhaps at the hands of a parent, or even was perpetrated by someone who was close to you or was an influential leader, this devotional is for you. In the devotional, we dive into God's heart for the abused, His heart to see those who are being held captive set free. And then we talk a little bit about how to start turning into God, how to lean into Him and away from the person who's hurt you. And then we go into some practical tips about how to step forward, how to rebuild your life, how rather God rebuilds your life in the process. If you'd like to check out the devotional, it's available now, and I've got a link down in the show notes for you. Okay, now on with today's episode. Today, I am joined by Rod Wilson, and we are talking about the power of three specific phrases in our relationships. Rod just wrote a book, and it is called Thank You, I'm Sorry, Tell Me More. This book and this conversation are absolutely fascinating because Rod talks about how these phrases have the power to bring us into healing in relationships, but they also can indicate some places where we've been hurt. And we talk about some practical steps to move from places where we're uncomfortable, perhaps with some of these phrases, to where we can experience the power that can rest within them. I know a lot of us deal regularly with feelings we'd rather not have, feelings like loneliness, anxiety, rejection, anger, and depression. The ways we've learned to cope with these emotions and with our triggers can help us survive, but they can also eventually keep us stuck in patterns that cause us to feel overwhelmed and threaten our well-being and our relationships, especially when it comes to our kids. Over at plusoneparents.org, slash quiz, you can take the what's your stress style quiz and learn more about how your coping strategies might actually be holding you back, but how you can also make changes that will get you moving forward. That quiz again is at plusoneparents.org slash quiz. Something I really appreciate about this conversation is that Rod has a keen awareness of abuse and wounding when it comes to our relationships. And not only is his advice extremely practical, but he brings such an element of encouragement and compassion to the conversation. Here is my conversation with Rod Wilson. Rod, it's so great to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. I'm really glad to be with you. 
Rod, you have a new book out and it is called, thank you. I'm sorry. Tell me more. And I think this is fascinating. These three phrases, because they are things that I think we start off with teaching our kids and it's all about manners and politeness, but there's really something much deeper underneath each of these expressions. So I wanted to know if you would start us off by just giving us a glimpse into that deep dive and really what is underneath each of these phrases. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, I think you've, you know, you're obviously your audience are are lots of moms and parents and things. So, uh, you know, all good parents want to teach their children good manners because we want them to grow up to be, you know, appropriate citizens and partners and friends and things. But um, yeah, I think one of my concerns is that those phrases can be seen superficially as just an expression of manners. And it is important to do that with our children. But the phrase I'm thank you um, is really the antidote or the opposite of the phrase I deserve it. And mm-hmm. one of the things I'm concerned about is the culture has this very powerful and yet subtle message in it that we're all being taught that we deserve everything, whether it's a holiday or a line of credit or a an increase on our loans or whatever it might be, we deserve things. And I think that that phrase, I deserve it, really reflects a culture of entitlement, whereas thank you reflects a culture of gratitude. And I think the same with the phrase, I'm sorry, the cultural opposite to that is, it's not my fault. You know, I'm going to blame everybody else and I'm victimized by that. So thank you addresses entitlement. I think I'm sorry addresses victimization. And then the third one, tell me more. I think the the cultural message in the face of that one is my story matters most. I'm not really interested in your story, Michelle. I want to tell my story. And that becomes a reflection of individualism. Whereas if I say, Michelle, tell me more, I'm really honoring you and respecting you and giving you dignity. Uh, as a person created in the image of God as one of his offspring, that your story matters, not just my story. So in a kind of a simple, but I hope more profound way, to me, gratitude speaks to entitlement, remorse speaks to victimization, and care speaks to individualism. And mm. once we start looking at it that way, these phrases then become way more than manners. Yes. And I think they are pivotal for relationships of all kinds. And so where we did start this conversation talking about what we're teaching our kids, I think, especially for those of us who have significant brokenness in our lives, we can see where these phrases are actually difficult for us in relationships that we may have a difficulty saying, thank you, because receiving feels unsafe or allowing somebody into that space feels like perhaps an intrusion even. And we're giving recognition to the fact that, hey, you impacted me or that with I'm sorry, very often we may use that expression. And this was my case, overuse the expression to take responsibility for things that really are not ours to take. But there may be this pervasive sense of shame that constantly keeps us apologizing. And then when it comes to tell me more, sometimes we may be like, gosh, I wish somebody would say that to me. I wish perhaps that, you know, I I don't even maybe know where to start when it comes to sharing my story and that can unlock so much, but there's, there's a given and there's a give and take. There's an exchange that happens with these words. 
And yeah. with pain and brokenness and hurt and abuse and all these types of things, it's not easy to access really the relational aspects that are underneath all of these things. Yeah. Now you said that really well, Michelle. I, I concur with what you said. I, over my life as a psychologist, I've dealt with lots of abusive and you know painful relationships, including marriages. And I think one of the unfortunate things is we've we've mispropositions or misunderstanding prepositions sometimes with women. I think a lot of women are told, you should be thankful for this. Uh, you should be saying, I'm sorry for this. You should be saying, tell me more for this. And I think that preposition needs to change to in. Um, you know, I've talked to lots of Christian women who've been told, you need to be thankful for, you know, the way your spouse is treating you. Well, mm -hmm. no, I don't think that's the biblical message. Being thankful in a circumstance is different than being thankful for a circumstance. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be like going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, were, were you were you thankful to Judas for his betrayal of you? Like, mm -hmm. are, did you thank him for that? Well, that sounds ridiculous. Of course mm -hmm. he didn't. Jesus was thankful in the circumstances of betrayal, but he wasn't thankful for the circumstances of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, uh, particularly women, I would argue, I mean, sometimes abuse goes the other way, but particularly mm -hmm. for women, uh, women often feel this huge burden of responsibility in dysfunctional marriages or abusive marriages. And then what happens is it's almost like a re-victimization. There's already the pain that's been exerted and experienced, mm -hmm. but now it falls to you to say all the thank yous, all the I'm sorry's, all the tell me mores. And in my experience, that makes the marriage worse. And it does nothing for the other spouse. It doesn't help yeah. them at all, actually. It sort of enables them in their own bad behavior. Yes. I love what you're saying here too, because I think this is the thing that also though allows us to relate better to God in these circumstances that perhaps I am not thankful for this thing that is happening, but I can be thankful that in it, perhaps he's revealing something or that I can yeah. sense his closeness or that I know he's there and those types of things. And I think that that's really freeing what you're saying though, because I think we are told very often like, this is for your good or, you know, like yeah, those yeah, kinds of yeah. things. And it's kind of like, well, this doesn't really feel good. So I don't yeah. know how I can get to the heart of this. Yeah. But yeah. Rod, as you talk about, you know, as we struggle with these phrases, the reluctance that we have perhaps is something that can be overcome and we can experience healing and connectivity in our relationships and where sometimes relationships are places where hurt, these phrases can actually help us to discover healing that can happen yeah. through our interactions with other people. So I wanted to know if you perhaps would give us some insight into what it looks like to begin embodying some of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things, Michelle, that's important is you know, let me talk to people who are listening who are in a really painful or dysfunctional or wounded or abusive relationship or have been in one. I think often what happens is the shame factor comes up really easily. My simple distinction between guilt and shame is guilt, I did something wrong. Shame, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And for many women in particular, I think when they're in a really unhealthy relationship with a man, uh, particularly an abusive man, 
they come away from that experience feeling like there's something wrong with me. It's not just I did something wrong last June, but it's more there is something fundamentally wrong with me. So say, for example, you know, I'm sure one of your listeners went into a marriage or into a relationship and was a person of gratitude, a person who could say, I'm sorry, easily, a person who could say, tell me more easily. But with all the dysfunction that's gone on in the relationship, they feel like, I, I don't know how to say thank you, I'm sorry, or tell me more mm-hmm. anymore. I feel mm-hmm. like I've lost, there's such simple phrases, but I've lost my bearings on even using these phrases. And to me, that comes from shame mm-hmm. that really what you're saying is there's something wrong with me. So I used to be a grateful person. Now I've experienced all this pain. I feel like I'm not grateful anymore. And a lot of the emphasis in the literature and in sort of popular culture and sadly in the church is, you know, you need to be thankful for, you know, he wasn't that bad or he, you know, he had some good qualities. So you need to be thankful and you've done things wrong too. So you need to be Mm. sorry. And I would argue there's, there's a place to do that kind of work. That's really important. But I think recovering the sense of who you are, like if you were a person who was grateful before, don't start with this former partner as a place to practice gratefulness. Look for other places. I mean, I I talk about in the book, my own experience of going into public uh, restrooms and feeling entitled that, you know, somebody else needs to clean the toilets and the basins and the floor. I'm above that. So therefore, I don't need to thank people who clean toilets or clean floors and restrooms. Well, I have to learn that. And I've made a practice of that now. I say thank you to people in public places that are doing so-called menial tasks. And there I express my gratefulness. So maybe I've got a relationship over here that's painful and it's too vulnerable to do it, but I'm restoring my ability to do that in other places with my children, with other friends, with other people I know. So I think for, and again, I would say particularly for women, uh, I think there's way too much pressure on women to totally radically respond differently when in fact what they need to do is heal from some of that woundedness, but learn to practice some of these things in other relationships and other circumstances. Mm, That's so good, Rod. And I think what you're pointing to is the fact that there are some spaces where these things are going to be too difficult to tackle first, that that is not going to be your first place to learn what it is to have gratitude in something, but there are safe places and safe people where this can be experimented with and practiced with. And what you're talking about, as far as thinking someone you know, who's cleaning a public toilet, for example, that is merely giving us the opportunity to observe and to be thankful for even something small, but that we're actually able to give something in that exchange, um, feel that perhaps we are offering something into that person's life rather than necessarily focusing on what did this person give me? And now I have to say thank you for it. And I, I want to make sure that they know that I thank them and all of those kinds yeah. of things that anxiety that can come along actually with expressing yeah. gratitude. Rod, can yeah. you talk about that gratitude specifically? And is this something where it's the motions are going to warm our heart up or is our heart getting warmed up to help us to say thank you? Like chicken or egg, like which one comes first in this, you think? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting what we've learned in neuroscience over the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, there was a time, you know, 40, 50 years ago where we thought that attitude 
was the foundation of behavior or, you know, what I felt inside was the foundation of what I did. I think now we're learning with neuroscience, particularly around the plasticity of the brain, is as you practice, and actually that word is used a lot now, both in the secular space and the Christian space, as you practice things more, so if you practice saying thank you, if you practice saying I'm sorry, if you practice saying tell me more, eventually that becomes a way of viewing the world and a way of understanding things, and you actually change your whole, use the word observe earlier, which I think is such an important one, that we observe the world in a different way. And I think what happens with abusive relationships and woundedness is, you know, how can you be thankful for dysfunction and abuse and pain? Like that seems almost impossible task, but you can be thankful for all sorts of other things. I mean, people who have uh, you know, children and they, uh, you know, their children are doing good things or they're behaving well, or they've done well in school. Like we could express thank you to our children, even though we might find it hard with our former partner. So I think once we practice these things, then we'll get to a place where they become more natural and more dis- the discipline will actually become habitual then. Mm-hmm. I think what's powerful too about what you're pointing to is the fact that if we're looking for opportunities to use these expressions, if I'm looking for opportunities to say thank you, then it's going to start to shift what I notice more of. Because if I'm in a place where I feel scared or threatened, then I'm more likely to sit there. But if I am saying, I'd like to grow in this practice of saying thank you, for example, then it forces me to have to look for the good. And I know in my healing journey, that was so critical because to me, that was the fingerprints of God. Because when I could see the good as I was coming out of things, I started to be able to recognize the good when I was in the valley. When I wondered, God, were you there? What what was your role? What were you doing? You know, those kinds of things that when we can observe in the present where he is doing things in us and with us and through us, that when we have gratitude in the present, it helps us to go backwards and perhaps look at some of those more painful parts of our story and start to see where his hands were, that he was walking through the valley with us. But To just go into our past without having first experienced some of that comfort and that compassion in the present, I think it becomes too difficult sometimes to wrestle with some of those things and triggers and that all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of what you're saying there, Michelle, it reminds me of uh, Genesis 50 and 20 when, you know, Joseph knew who his brothers were. And at that point, his brothers knew who he was. And then they had this sort of open, transparent, vulnerable conversation. And I love Joseph's conclusion. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now that's, that's a very complex sentence, I think, theologically, because I think many women, for example, will come out of, uh, you know, abusive relationships and say that was God's desire. You know, so God made my former husband punch me to teach me some lessons. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. That's some sort of God, but it's not the God of the Bible. So when Joseph said, you intended to harm me, it's interesting. He he focuses on the intent of the other. You intended harm. He also acknowledges that it was harmful, like sitting in a prison a couple of times because you've been betrayed. That's hard. That's really, really difficult. You can't be Pollyannish about that. 
and say, oh, it was lovely being in the prison after I was misunderstood. Like, that's not accurate. But then he says, God, you know, in the redemptive thread that God brings to pain, he worked it out that good came from it. But it doesn't mean he affirmed what happened. And I would, I would go back to Judas again on that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think God says, isn't it great what Judas did? Like, he portrayed my son. Oh, this is so, I'm so encouraged by that. No, uh, Judas intended to harm Jesus, but the father intended it for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intent of the human is different than the intent of God. But the redemptive thread and the woundedness is where good can come. That's so good. And I think that gives us direction too, though, that we're not really looking to be thankful towards the person who is hurting us. We're looking to have that heart of gratitude towards where God is, who he is, what he is doing, and that that is part of that redemption experience. I love how you pulled those together. When it comes to I'm sorry and dysfunctional relationships, whether abusive, toxic, wounding, all these types of experiences, where do we go off the rails with understanding the role of I'm sorry? Yeah. Well, let me um, sort of a quasi-camouflage case situation. So I'm not giving you the whole story here, but just a little piece of it. Let me tell you about a, a circumstance I was involved in. A woman uh, came to see me uh, in my office who had just come out of a hospital uh, from her injuries from her spouse. Um, creating so much pain and anguish and hurt in her body that she had to be hospitalized. And so when she came to our clinic, um, I talked to her initially, and then I brought him in, and we talked about uh, what had happened. And what had happened was he had told her that he did not want her going down the processed food aisles in the grocery store. And she went down one of the processed food aisles. He wanted her to stay in the fresh food aisles, not the processed food. She went down one of the processed food aisles. And when she got home, he beat her up and she ended up in hospital. So she was sitting in the office, like weeping uncontrollably. And his, his words were constantly, I told you not to do that. So these are the consequences of what you did. And she would just cry more. And then through her tears, she would say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Now, to me, that is, and I'm not, this is not a blaming statement here. It's, a, it's, a, it's more a statement on the nature of the system. That's a system that's completely dysfunctional. Like you end up in hospitals because of the aisle you went down in the grocery store. That's absurd. And then he said to me, you need to tell her that as a Christian wife, that's what she needs to do. So I had a few things to say. I won't say all of them on air right now, but <laughs> I had a few things to say to him and he never came back. And I followed up with him and he said, um, I'm not coming to see you anymore. We want to go to a biblical counselor, um, which is an interesting framing of that. What he did was he turned uh, a perpetrator, an abuser, into somebody who was a victim, mm-hmm. not only of his wife, who should say, I'm sorry more, but of his counselor, who should have told her she needed to do what he told her and she shouldn't go down those aisles. So a woman who comes out of that kind of experience, the very phrase, I'm sorry, I think is traumatizing. Mm-hmm. The very phrase, I'm sorry, makes you completely unsafe And it doesn't draw you towards the person like you feel their pain for what you've done, like you're afraid of them. 
mm-hmm. uh, and you're frightened of them. So I think for your listeners who've been through really unhealthy and abusive relationships, the phrase I'm sorry is going to be really, really difficult to calibrate well and to, to have a trajectory that's pointing in a redemptive direction rather than a re-victimization direction. I think it's important what you're pointing out here, though, in getting to it, in being able to go down that road, in calling out and understanding that in abusive dynamics and unhealthy dynamics, that there's a reverse ordering of who is the victim and who is the perpetrator. And so often the victim will, because of shame, as you pointed to earlier, will end up accepting responsibility for something that is not theirs and feeling as though they have perpetrated this Which is why very often I think victims feel that they're responsible for what's happening to them, that I must be doing something. I am perpetrating this. And you know what? Very often women are told that they are. They are told if you didn't do this, he wouldn't do that. And it's important for us to recognize, though, that that reverse ordering is a deception. It's a manipulation. And that not only then are you not responsible, not called to say, I'm sorry, and accept this person's, what should be their remorse, you know, not accept what they're trying to heap upon you, but actually that there's an expectation then that this person is the perpetrator. And that when it comes to genuine remorse, that that apology really needs to be coming from them. Now, in the book, you discuss, though, what genuine remorse, genuine apology really should look like. And for many listeners, not only has perhaps some of our relationships been toxic, but perhaps some of the families of origin that we grew up in were also toxic. And so knowing what genuine remorse looks like is kind of foreign. So could you point us in the right direction? Yeah. Well, let me go to the concept of love uh, to start with in this. You know, because we're in a sexualized culture and an emotional culture, I think when most of us think about love, we think first about a feeling. And, you know, lots of love involves feeling. But um, loving the other is doing what's in their best interest. You know, when you think about loving your children, uh, all that you do towards your children doesn't make them feel good. (laughs) Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you say things as a mom. And they don't like it and they get mad, but you're doing what's in their best interest. And so a good parent loves children by thinking, what is in their benefit? What's in their best interest? And I will do that. So the problem with dysfunctional abusive relationships with this phrase of I'm sorry is many times love is not behind it. Now, I want to caution your listeners uh, when I make this next point. I'm not saying this to them. So be careful, listeners, that you don't hear me saying this to you. I'm just saying this as a principle. But when the person has been abused says they're sorry, the risk is they're not doing what's in the best interest of the other person, of Mm -hmm. the perpetrator. So if an abused wife, you know, my example of the woman who was, you know, beat up because she went down the wrong aisle, if she says, I'm sorry for going down the wrong aisle, she's enabling him and really not doing what's in his best interest. On the other hand, if the the perpetrator, and this is very typical in these situations, as you know, constantly says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, it won't happen again, I promise I won't do it again, pretty soon in most of these dysfunctional relationships, the abused spouse realizes, I'm sorry is meaningless, because there's no behavior change. And there's an interesting Greek word in the New Testament, metanoia which is the word that's used usually for repentance. And the word does not mean 
feeling badly about what you have done. I think so many of us, you know, the guy with the sign walking downtown, you know, in, in your city, like repent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've often wondered, like, what do people think when they see that sign? Do they mm-hmm. think feel bad about all the terrible things you've done? Well, repentance is not necessarily an emotion about the past. It's a behavioral commitment to the future. So when an abuser says, I'm sorry, this is not a test of how badly he feels about what he's done, because that'll pass in a few days, right? We all have certain feelings on Wednesday that we don't have on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But when the feeling passes and he does it again and says, I'm sorry again, he's not repenting. He's not giving a genuine I'm sorry, because a genuine I'm sorry will result in new behavior. Mm-hmm. And it will be a commitment to something else. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman taken in adultery, uh, he didn't say, you know, how badly do you feel about your adultery? Mm-hmm. He said, go and don't do this again. Yeah. Right. And that's a That's real repentance. And I worry in the church that sometimes we're cultivating this emotion about the past more than we are a commitment to the future when it comes to repentance. Mm. That's so good. And there's a lip service element that even goes into that. And I always say an apology without change behavior is a manipulation. And that's really what you're pointing to is just the fact that even regardless of whether or not there is an emotion behind the words, they are just words without something and an established pattern of something changing that even if it changes for six weeks and goes back to what it was before, then that's not change. Yeah, and exactly. I think, and and I, th- I appreciate you being tender though about addressing enabling because I know that a lot of women will hear that phrase and think that that means that there's that you're responsible for this person's choice, yeah. and that's yeah. never the case. It's just that this particular behavior encourages that person, encourages them to keep doing what they're doing because there's yeah. no discomfort in them having to have consequences because you have absorbed the consequences for them. And then the thing continues on. Yeah. And I think all of us, and maybe you have some listeners that do ministry and work with in these circumstances. I think it's really important that when we talk about these, what I would call systemic principles, before we talk about those, we say to people, I'm not talking to you. Because I think, you know, this often happens in sermons, like women sit in sermons and they hear the pastor preaching about marriage or relationships. And it feels like, oh, so what they're telling me is I need to do this or that. Well, no, they're just preaching a sermon. How you apply that needs to be nuanced pretty carefully. Mm-hmm. So when I preach on marriage, for example, um, I will I always start with those of you who are in an abusive marriage, a dysfunctional marriage, or a marriage that's got a lot of pain in it. Uh, you and I need to have a conversation about this after I preach this, because this passage as is laid out is the ideal we're striving for, but it's Mm. not where you're living right now. That is so great. And I think this one size fits all approach towards relationships, number one, it's unbiblical, but I think that that's where a lot of us end up feeling like we're trying everything. We tried everything. We tried everything. And it's just that we're applying the wrong understanding to verses that really don't describe the situation at hand. Yeah. Like when Paul says, you know, in Ephesians 5, I mean, this is a debated passage, obviously, but when he says, submit yourselves one to another, wives to husbands, like most English translations of the Bible in Ephesians 5, put wives submit to to your husband. 
course, the word submit is not in that verse. It's in the previous verse, which says mm-hmm. submit to one another. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's, you know, and you've been in these church services, I have too, where some man is up front wailing away on the women to submit to their husbands. First of all, he doesn't understand the context. The context starts with submit to one another. Mm-hmm. And secondly, like, are you going to tell a woman is being beat up to submit to further beating? Like, is that what you're saying? So mm-hmm. the nuancing of scripture is really, really important when we're communicating. Mm-hmm. So important. And I think above all, we're called to submit to God. And if yeah. we're submitting to evil at the hands of another person, then yeah. we, we're we not ordering things as they should be ordered. Yeah, yeah. And I think the philosophers would say it's a category problem. Like when Paul wrote Ephesians 5 on marriage, he, he was in a category of, you know, marriage is a symbol of Christ in the church. Let me explain what this looks like. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, now what I'm going to talk about is dysfunctional abuse of marriages. And I'm yeah. going to say this, that, that's another category altogether. That's uh, right. And we Christians are, it's one of our specialties. I think we have category problems at times. Mm, so good. And if you want to know what Paul says about abuse, go check out Second Timothy chapter three. He's got yeah. very sharp words for abusers in yeah. that passage. Exactly. Now, Rod, when it comes to tell me more and how that impacts our relationships, there is perhaps a discomfort that can underlie using a phrase like that, that very often we might just kind of have these very superficial comings and goings. And we have to, though, be willing to engage not only in someone else's life and their story, but our own in order to have an authentic exchange with someone that can really lead to some healing, but some deep vulnerability. So can you share more about how we can break through some of the discomforts to get to that point? Yeah. Well, one of the things that happens in the sphere that you're involved in quite a bit in ministry, as you know, is secrecy. And so often when a woman has gone through the experience of abuse or is going through the experience of abuse of various sorts, um, you know, what What does shame do? Shame creates hiding. That's right out of the garden, right? As soon as Adam and Eve felt shame, they hid, hid from God, hid from each other. So I think women, and you may have some listeners tonight, right, right now who are in the early stages of an abusive relationship, and one of the things they usually say later on is, I told no one. Uh, so there's a hiding, there's a secrecy, and I would translate that to use my phrase, no one wants to hear their story, or they feel like no one wants to hear their story. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a person who's been abused physically. Um, So I'm not speaking about this theoretically. My daughter, who has a lot of uh, liabilities, and my wife and I went through a pretty lengthy season of physical abuse. And uh, a couple of times to the point we were pretty sure we're going to be murdered. So When you go through that experience, I remember sitting in the police station, we were trying to decide, should we charge her or not? Um, And would that be the best thing to do? And the police talked to us and said, if you charge her, her boyfriend will probably kill you. So you're probably better not to charge her. Well, you know, I'm a Christian leader and I've done lots of things in ministry. I'm sitting in the police station and even telling you now, I'm getting sort of emotional telling you. And I wanted to hide, like, who's going to listen to my story? They want to hear my teaching. They want to hear my writing. They want to hear my sermons. They they don't want to hear that this, you know, man, adult man is being physically abused. Like, they don't want to hear that, or he's afraid he's going to be killed. So we go quiet with our stories of pain. We hide. 
And then finally, when we get to somebody who says, tell me more, like, tell me your story. All of a sudden, the, the fig leaf drops. We're not hiding behind the trees anymore. And we open up and the power of the secret lessons. And then we're ready to start the healing journey. And I think, as you know, healing, healing is difficult when we're completely enveloped in shame. Like it was really hard for me to reach out and go to a therapist and say, I am an abused dad who's being beat up by my daughter. Like it was really hard. Uh, I was the president of a theological school and I'd go into work with bruises on my body. Uh, and I was hoping no one would see them or ask me where the bruises came from. So when I'm in that circumstance of reaching out for help and going for therapy, I've got to get out from behind my shame and hiding. And that was not easy. Like when I say I've got to get out, it's not like somebody needs to demand me to do that. But I needed to find someone who would listen to my story. And when they did listen to my story and heard about what it was like for me, then I was able to talk about it. And the power of the secret was gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the healing journey began. So I think for any of us who've been in these really, really painful domestic pain situations or domestic abuse situations, tell me more is, again, one of those really emotionally laden phrases and you also know, like even still, when people say to me, uh, you know, do you, have a, do you have any children? I say, yeah, we have one daughter. How old is she? Oh, she's 34. Oh, what's she doing? Well, and I can answer that question really mm -hmm. simply mm -hmm. and not talk because I don't find it safe in some places. Yes. Uh, and some people can't comprehend it. What, your daughter beat you up? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So they don't want to hear my story. Uh, but when people do hear our stories and we get out from behind the shame, then we're starting to heal more. Mm -hmm. I think it's really critical what you just pointed to there, though, that there are going to be instances and in people where it's not safe. It's yeah. not something I need to let you in on that by sharing these parts of ourselves, we open ourselves up to be then impacted by another person. And there are some people that we have already walked a little bit of the way with that we have a sense that they are invested in us. And we can know that as we gradually let them in on a little bit more and a little bit more, that there is something to be gained from those interactions. But for some people, if they're not able to extend to you compassion, or you don't know if they can extend to you compassion, then it is better to just say, let's maybe walk together for a little while before we yeah. get too far into the weeds here. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to shame, as I understand shame, especially when we look at it as a definition of I am a mistake, that we really, when we look at what the core of shame is, there's a lie there. There might be a series of lies there. And that warps our understanding of who we are. It warps our understanding of who God is. It warps our understanding of how we relate to other people. How can we start to understand what the lies are? so that we can move forward with each of these three expressions? Yeah. No, really important question, Michelle. I, I, um, well, let me say what it's not, and then let me say what it is. I think what it's not is simply, you know, reading through the Bible and saying, you know, I'm a child of God, I'm, I'm a sister, I'm a brother, I'm part of God's community, I'm forgiven, I'm loved. And somehow, you know, kind of gritting your teeth, clenching your fists and saying, God loves me. And even though I don't feel love, God loves me. And, 
and trying to put these two, kind of jam these two things together. Like I've lived a life where I don't feel loved, where I don't feel valued. I've been in a relationship for 20 years um, where, you know, I've been abused or whatever it is. And then I just feel like a nothing. I feel like a mistake. And then I try to force feed myself with these biblical phrases and somehow think that that's going to move it into a different place. I think that alone is problematic because the feeding phrases from the Bible into my head in the hopes that they'll totally revolutionize my whole anatomy, my whole emotion, I think is a mistake. What's needed is that, so I hope listeners didn't hang up at that point, what's needed (laughs) is that, Mm -hmm. plus Mm -hmm. having that mediated so my lived experience demonstrates that God loves me. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the functions of the body of Christ, and I would even go further and say one of the functions of people on the earth is to allow God to speak through others to us about his truth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of us, I'm one of these people, I've, I've been a Christian most of my life. I've been in church, you know, most Sundays for my whole life. Uh, I've heard so much truth. What's my problem? Not how much truth I've heard. Actually, a lot of my problems are how much truth has not been embodied, Mm. how much truth has not been incarnated. So when you say, like, use a word like forgiveness, I can exegete all the passages in the Bible on forgiveness, but I can tell you some painful stories where I haven't felt forgiven. I can tell you some lots of stories of people around me who have not been forgiven by Christians around them. And many of them have given up on on faith as a result of it. So to me, it's it's the message of scripture and the mediating of the body, the incarnating, the embodiment of the truth. And I and for those who of your listeners who are theologically inclined, for me, this is why the incarnation is not just about Christmas. I think a lot of people, you know, we use the I word at Christmas, incarnation, you know, Jesus came as a baby, isn't that great? But all truth needs to be embodied by all people. Like we all need to be living that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you and I are in a friendship, Michelle, and you know, you do something wrong and you say you're sorry and I don't forgive you, like you can read all the passages in the Bible on forgiveness you want, but if a brother in Christ isn't forgiving you, that's going to be the most powerful message. Mm-hmm. So the Christian community needs to live this stuff out. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's lots of listeners that, you know, Michelle Donnelly is is the incarnation of God's Mm -hmm. truth. They are reading scripture and trying to understand who they are in Christ, but your podcast and your ministry embody something they need. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of hope comes. Mm. Rod, that was a gift for you to say that. I appreciate that so much. I agree with you wholeheartedly that Jesus walked on this earth in part to show us what it looks like lived out, that he can do it perfectly. He did it perfectly. We're not able to, but we're empowered by God's spirit to walk in the truth that we have the ability to read it. And then we're empowered by the spirit to do it and where we will fall short. And that's why we need expressions like, thank you. I'm sorry. And tell me more that that is a journey of sanctification that we're on together. And I think that's why it's so critical though, that we do find a community of Christ followers. And if you're in one that's unsafe, if you're in one where you don't feel that you're received as you are, 
then keep looking. <laughs> they are out there. But this is why it is so critical because you're right. It is how God expresses himself through other people. And that though, when we have something good to receive from somebody, we can know that that is God working through the people yeah. around us. And exactly. so that's what makes it so much safer to receive though, because yeah. if it's got strings attached, that's a manipulation and God does yeah. not manipulate. If it is truly out of love and benefit for you, then we can know that that's God's way and that is yeah. safe. And that's where yeah. we experience great healing. Yeah. And this is where as Christians, we need to be really careful with theologically accurate phrases that are just a little off. So mm -hmm. I hear a lot of times, uh, and again, particularly women, like you don't need to be, you know, you've come out of a, an abusive relationship. You don't need to be trusting people. You need to be trusting God. That's true, but it's quite possible that God will give the antidote to your abusive relationship with other relationships, and mm -hmm. that's who he'll work through. So mm -hmm. I'm sure some of your listeners right now, you know, know they need to go and get some counseling yeah. and get some help for what they're going through. And they and what they're saying to themselves is, no, I should be trusting God. I shouldn't mm -hmm. be relying on somebody else. Well, mm -hmm. how about the paradigm that God may use a counselor yeah. to speak truth to you? Yes. And so it's not either or, it's both and. Oh, that's what I always say, Rod. That's one of my like mantras. It is not either or, it's both and. Yeah. So good. good. We're agreeing on so much, Michelle. <laughs> this is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rod, I'm so thankful for the insights that you have shared in this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Well, the title of my book is Thank You, I'm Sorry, Tell Me More. My fear in writing this book is people like some of your listeners will see that title and think of their partner and think, oh, I need to say thank you to him. I need to say I'm sorry to him. I need to say tell me more to him. And I would say, read the book, not just for your former relationship, but read the book for your other relationships that shows you've got it in you. You are a person that has gratitude. You are a person that has remorse and you are a person that cares. And even though it was messed up over there, there's other places you can express it and do it well. Mm, that's very, very important. Thank you so much. Rod, would you tell listeners about your book and how they can follow along with you? Yeah, uh, this is my sixth book, uh, Michelle. So if anyone would like to connect, uh, probably the most central place to connect with me or my books is through Amazon. Uh, so if they go on Amazon, they can get it. Uh, this particular book will be in uh, bookstores of all sorts. Uh, it's even in Walmart and Target in the U.S. as well. So one of my hopes in this book that it would be, to use the technical phrase, it would be a crossover book that Christians could read it and understand there's a large Christian backdrop to this book. But people who don't have faith could also read it and say, there's something, there's something here that I need to work on. Mm. Uh, and one of my concerns right now is too many Christians are writing and speaking to other Christians and not to the broader culture. So, mm. um, yeah, so if they go on Amazon or go to their local bookstore, they'll uh, be able to pick it up there and hopefully it'll be a blessing to them. Terrific. And I will include a link so that listeners can go check out your book. But thank you so much for joining me today, Rod. Thank you, Michelle. Rod's book is now available, and if you'd like to grab a copy, I've got a link for you down in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation with Rod, I've got a couple others that I can suggest for you. Check out episode 97, 
Vulnerability, How to Open Your Heart to Healing with Kelly Fabian. Also, you might be interested in episode 82, Learning to Trust After Trauma, God, Yourself, and Others with Christy Blackburn. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.